Hey, Jason Rogers here. And while some of you joined this live stream, I quickly want to say that in the last couple of weeks, it's been one of the most unusual moments in American and world history. There's been a pandemic. Oil prices have absolutely plummeted. The stock market has lost over 30% in just weeks. And we're in a legitimate state of true uncertainty, something I've not experienced since 2001 with 9-11. Look, it's, it's an unusual time right now, and it's important for all of us to stick together. It's important for all of us to think rationally. It's important for all of us to make sure that we bring our best selves to the forefront. Because again, it's an unusual time in human history. But I do believe that tough times make tough people. I do believe that in tough moments, people rise to the challenge. And I do believe most importantly that there are a ton of opportunities that make themselves available in recessions, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of panic and the like. So we will be as individuals better because of this. We will make the most of this if we can get it right, right here within the middle, uh, the middle of our skull, AKA our brains. No. Now that all said, this is a live stream. I want to do some Q and a right now. We are having people that are going to be coming into the live stream here in the next couple of minutes. If you are on this live stream, can you comment something so that I can get acclimated with how this is going to look? I think I've received a couple of comments here. We have Bradley who's here who say tough times make tough people. Amen. And for those of you who are here, by all means, share your comments and, uh, and comment here real quickly. I see, are you currently operating under an LLC? And we have people here who are commenting. Great. Thank you so much. Great to have you here. And let's dive in. So I'm going to start asking, I'm going to start answering questions. Now that's the point of this. That's the point of this live stream. It's really to answer your guys' questions and gals, of course, and to speak candidly about business, M&A, and the like. So I will go through these. Firstly, from my good friend, Sir Sen asks, are you currently operating under an LLC? Yes, I am. And the reason we operate under an LLC is pretty simply because an LLC is a pass-through entity. It's a pass-through entity that essentially does not accrue tax, yet an LLC provides you with legal protection and essentially keeps you from dealing with personal liability. All right, so that's why we operate through an LLC. Next, let's see what questions we have. Will banks be in a lending mode during this economic moment? And the answer to that question, in my opinion, is yes, though it depends on the type of bank and it depends on where you're looking for finance. Here's the punchline. You need to work with a bank right now that's backed by the government. And more specifically than that, you want to work with a program within the bank that has government backing. And so for Americans in the United States of America, that means the SBA program or the USDA program. You could also consider Freddie and Fannie financing, though that's a bit more of a real estate play. But generally speaking, yes, banks that are backed by the government literally are almost forced to lend. And so it's a great opportunity to procure financing if you're working with banks that have that government backing. But if you're working with traditional small private banks that are gonna be lending their own capital, right now is probably a time where they're gonna be a bit more stringent, a bit more uncomfortable with lending. So it's not a matter of if banks are lending because there are obviously lending arms that, that are active. It's about getting to those right lending arms. 
as a side note before we continue, if you've liked this so far and if you want me to answer your questions, thumb this things up, thumbs this video up, excuse me, it helps me keep helping you, it helps rank the videos, which helps grow the channel. So if you're liking this, by all means, drop some love here, it, it, it's appreciated, and let's answer some more questions. Okay, Jules asks, would you consider aerospace deals in this economic environment? Good question. Now, firstly, let me say I'm not an aerospace expert. I've spent a good bit of time in Wichita, Kansas, which is a massive aerospace hub within the United States. Of course, there's Boeing in the aerospace sector. I would say to you that aerospace is a sector that if you have skill or knowledge in it, could be interesting. And that's really the punchline. If you're a great operator or if you have a bunch of experience in a sector, you can make almost any sector your own, right? You can almost dominate any sector if you're truly great at that sector or you have a lot of industry experience. For me, I'm not an aerospace guy. So, you know, for me to comment in depth about aerospace would be a bit foolish. But certainly, if you have aerospace expertise, then it could be a worthwhile place for you to go. And, you know, working with the government, if you're able to secure those government contracts, that can be clutch. So there is an opportunity there. All right, if you have questions, drop them in the comments here. We're gonna answer a couple of questions. Let's see what we have here. Paul asks, what kind of questions do banks ask you on your first appointment? Well, there's a couple of things there, right? So are you talking about the first phone call or are you talking about your actual first in-person meeting with a bank, right? Because on a first phone call, I'm actually the one asking them questions generally. I'm usually gonna be asking banks on a first phone call you know, what their lending parameters are, how much experience they have lending in the sector that I'm in. I'm gonna be asking them questions to the effect of how much leverage they can provide. I'm asking them if they're asset lenders versus cash flow lenders. You know, I'm gonna be asking them different questions. And then generally, once you meet in person, then generally it's a bit more of a two-way street. You know, they're asking more about you, your group, the deals you like to do, you know, the operational team that you have, how you're planning on bringing these deals to the marketplace, how you're gonna be providing the equity to get these deals done. Of course, as far as equity is concerned, you can work with the SBA, you can do, you know, cash injection from investors. There's a lot of ways you can roll there. But I would say ultimately, when it comes to banks in those first person meetings, which it looks like you clarified, and that's what you're looking for in those first person meetings, the pitch that you make is the most important part. And the pitch is as simple as nail your pitch regarding why your sector is hot, nail your pitch regarding why your deal is hot, if you're actually talking about a specific deal you're looking to get financed. And then lastly, really have your operational strategy down cold. Know how you're gonna operate the deal, know why you're the best operator in town, talk about your operational skill set and your strategy and your standard operating procedures you intend to implement. And that's really the, the one, two, three punch, I should say, you know, the three-legged punch, if you will, for really dominating that in-person bank meeting. It's really that five to 10 minute presentation. You're gonna talk about two minutes for your sector, about three minutes for your deal, and about three minutes for the operational game plan you have for operating the deal or deals that you're gonna be buying. And then from there, I ask questions of the bank. Usually they'll ask some questions of me, and you really wanna nail that first impression. And when you do, it puts you in a really powerful place. If you're liking this, by the way, thumbs up this video. Again, it helps me keep helping you. Let's see now what Edwin says. What are some red flags you look for in a deal? This is a great question. There's a couple of them. Firstly, if the owner, if the owner is deeply involved in day-to-day -day operations to the point where he or she is indispensable to the success of that business, that's a red flag. 
Absolutely, undoubtedly, that's a red flag. Next, if the, the income, the earnings are going downward, that's a red flag. Next, if the business has not been operating with the right licensing, the right permitting, et cetera, or if the business has a history of litigation, that's a huge red flag. We don't wanna deal with businesses that have litigation, that have been dealing with lawsuits or that haven't been operating legally. And likewise, we're looking to see a strong operational team in-house. We wanna really see a team, an operational team with a business we're looking to buy that is sturdy and strong and dependable and reliable and so if we don't see that, that's another red flag because we're not trying to just buy a business where we're going to have to bring in all new management. We want to have that management already stable. Hopefully that makes sense. Let me go back to the chat now. Let's go through some more questions. Sir Horse Lair asks, what does it mean to offer a lifetime hold to an investor? What about when you sell? That's a great question. And I think that's a question coming from the live stream. Excuse me, not the live stream. This is the live stream. from Coming from the case study that we... Uh, dropped on the YouTube channel the other day. A lifetime hold essentially means that you're going to be paying either the percentage, the pro rata percentage of the earnings. So if an individual owns 10% of the business, then you're going to be paying them 10% of the earnings for the lifetime that you're holding the business. And or if you're also provi providing them a preferred dividend, a preferred rate of return, basically just a, base want, a baseline interest payout, that you're going to be continuing to pay them out for the lifetime hold of the business. And then, of course, it means when you sell that you're going to pay them the percentage of the business upon closing, right? So if you bought the business for a million and they own 10% and you sell for, say, two million, then you're going to pay them out 200000 Why? Because they own 10% of 2 million, that's 200,000. So it basically just means that you're gonna dividend them out, you're gonna pay them out in earnings and or in a dividend payment via a preferred payout for the lifetime of you operating the business. And then it means when you sell, that you're gonna also then pay them their pro rata percentage via equity of the, the net sale. So that's how we structure that and that's really the answer to that question. All right, let me uh, go through some more questions. But again, if you're liking this, thumbs it up. It helps me keep helping you show a brother some love now let's keep going what do we have we have how are you planning to use the fed stimulus package to your advantage great question the answer to that is is we are speaking with a host of sba lenders right now and they are flush with cash now as i talked about in a recent video much of how the sba is flush with cash is based on offering short-term loans to basically help businesses keep their their payroll you know keep their their employees getting paid for us, I actually happen to be sitting in the office of the uh, the first business that we bought right now, and this business is running great. You know, we're actually positioned to do just as well as any other month, so we don't need that kind of help uh, from the government to help our existing business. However, the fact that the banks have been flushed with so much cash right now, thanks to old Donald Trump, and of course, it's not thanks because we're in a difficult economic period right now, given all the health concerns. But that said, certainly the banks are flushed with cash. And because they're flush with cash, we are indeed looking for acquisition financing and we are very confident we're going to be able to get it. Here's another thing, and this is something to really consider for those of you who are thinking about getting, in, getting into M&A or who are already in the game. Most buyers have been freaked out by what's taking place right now. 
not us. However, you know, we're very confident about what's, what's taking place right now because a lot of businesses are actually available right now at discount prices. A lot of sellers just don't have the stomach or the heart to engage in a two to three year potential recession that we may be about to embark upon right now. And even just with this coronavirus situation, they're not up for it. So the long and the short of it is there are buying opportunities at hand. And why this relates to the question that I just received is because when banks aren't getting as many inquiries from potential you know, individuals looking for finance, it means your request immediately goes closer to the top, right? If there's only two people requesting finance, it's easier to get finance than if there's 50 people requesting finance. Right now, given the fact that the situation is very uncertain, most of the other buyers have just taken their money and they've gone home, right? But not us. So part of taking advantage of this economic moment is just being in the game. That doesn't mean that you immediately win by being in the game, but it certainly means that being in the game helps. And that's the reality of where I'm at. We have two plumbing acquisitions in the southeast of the United States that we are engaged in right now. Uh, one of them we're under contract for. The other we hope to be under contract in the next couple of days. The seller's taken a little longer than preferred based on all the... Uh, because of all the things that are happening right now, but we expect that that will also get under contract and then we will officially look to quote unquote take advantage of the SBA financing program. Okay, let's go through some more questions. So you say, I messaged you on LinkedIn about using uh, Dan Pena's model for the video game industry. Okay, you know, a couple of things. Firstly, I don't know a lot about the video game industry. So I don't have a ton to say there. And then secondly, look, I'm, I'm definitely somebody that learned a lot from Dan Pena in the QLA, which is actually what you use. But that said, you know, I'm an M&A guy and I'm a guy that views invest, investment more from the lens of the Warren Buffetts and the Sam Zells and the Charlie Mungers of the world. So I'm not the perfect guy to speak about, you know, Dan Pena's stuff. If you have questions for Dan Pena, you should ask him. But at the end of the day, if you believe in the sector, if you have a hot deal and you know how to operate, then you can be successful in buying businesses. I'll say that all day long. All right, I'm gonna go to the next question. And if you have questions, drop them because I won't be here for that long. I'm only doing this for about 20, or maybe even only 10 more minutes. Let's see what you have to say. Okay, we have a question. Hello, I have a question. I want to know what do you do how do you, how did you do the due diligence? Excuse me. How did you do the due diligence of a market in a country? Should I ask my industry experts in case any licenses are required? Okay. So firstly, we use IBIS as well as Reference USA. IBIS, I-B-I-S, as well as Reference USA. Excuse me. Those are two great reference websites that you can utilize to gain a lot of industry data as it relates to a market in a, in a country. You're looking to see that the overall revenue within that sector in your country is growing. You're looking to see that demand is increasing. These things are important. And again, we use Reference USA and IBIS reports and of course our industry experts to help us ascertain how successful we anticipate we would be able to be in that given sector. You know, and that's really an important thing. You also want to talk to lawyers and accountants that have done deals in the sector that you're looking to get into in your specific country, and they have a lot of insight as well. Okay, we're going to do a couple of more questions, then I'm going to get out of here because I have to do the live stream for our students within the paid course that I offer, but I digress. We have Jules saying, any thoughts on the Stanford search model versus the QLA model? 
Dan's model seems to focus on a roll-up strategy uh, versus the search model decides after a fundraise. Right, so the, the Stanford-style search model, the search fund model, they fundraise capital first and then they deploy it into the marketplace, whereas the, the QLA, if you will, strategy is really about building the dream team and finding deals and then figuring out the money at the end. Both can work. We really actually do a hybrid that isn't exactly the same as either of those because I believe fundamentally that they all happen at the same time. They all happen at the same time, right? The deal, the money, and the operational thesis, those things all come together. It's almost like baking a cake, you know? I'm, I'm not a cake expert, but you know, what do you do first? Do you get the ingredients together or do you put on the oven and put it for 375? You know, or do you, what do you do first? Like you do them all together, you know, you, you do them all together and you need to get them in the oven simultaneously. You have to have the eggs or the milk or the crust and the pecans, you know, they all have to be together and then you get them in the oven, right? So we don't just fundraise money immediately and then say, okay, cool. Now we can go buy businesses, but we also don't just look for businesses and not think about the money. We do it all. You're juggling. M&A, which is, again, you don't hear me putting QLA in my titles of my videos. You don't see me putting search model, search fund model in the title of my videos because I'm not a search fund guy. I'm not a QLA guy. I'm just a business person that's buying businesses using basic acquisition principles. And what I would say is ultimately it's your job to juggle because there's no, there's no oh, there's only one path to Rome. No, there's a lot of paths to Rome. If you have a hot deal though, what I will say about the QLA model that I believe in is if you have a hot deal, that helps everything. And, and Dan calls it a motivated seller. And I get why he calls it a motivated seller because naturally if the seller's motivated, you're gonna get, usually get better terms. You know, that's fundamentally true. But ultimately a hot deal makes it all easier. You can fundraise equity, you can fundraise debt, you can find operators. Everything gets easier when you have a hot deal. You know, most people are thinking about how do I get the money? How do I get the money? Where do I find the finance? Where do I find the debt? I don't think that's the right question. I spent a lot more time finding great deals and investigating those deals to make sure they're actually great than I do actually fundraising capital. And that's worked really well for us thus far and we think that's gonna make us successful in the coming years, time will tell. All right, let's do a couple more questions. Okay, how much percentage of the equity of the subsidiary do you allocate to the private investors, thoughts on offering convertible debts instead. I don't have a lot of comment on offering convertible debts instead. Honestly, I like to keep deals very simple. And when you have these, you know, debt positions that can convert to equity or vice versa, to me, that's just overcomplicating what can be a very simple M&A transaction. I like the fundamental premise of keep it simple, stupid, right? The KISS formula. But at the end of the day, if we're going to take 10% in cash to buy a business, then we'll give that investor usually 10% equity in the company. So it's a one-to-one -one arbitrage. That's worked well for us. And if your deal's hot, going on to my prior point about the hot deal being the fundamental piece of the puzzle, if your deal's hot, then 10% for 10% down will intrigue investors. Our next individual says, you're motivating me to go after the plumbing sector. Look, the plumbing sector is not all sunshine and roses. First of all, it's not a sexy sector. Secondly, it's very labor intensive. People are a consistent challenge because you know there's personalities and egos and all these things that you're managing. And then lastly, I would say also the plumbing sector has permitting and regulatory standards that are fairly arduous to overcome. So by all means, can you be successful in plumbing? Of course you can. But would I go into plumbing just because I am? No. You know, a lot of people went into the mobile home park sector because I was going into the mobile home park sector. And 
Funny enough, I don't think most of the people that followed my lead just because they were falling blindly, I don't think it was a great, a great move for them. I think generally, if you have some business savvy in another sector, that's the sector you should look to go into first and foremost, as opposed to just following somebody else. You know, Just because I did it doesn't mean you can do it. And if you know, we had a guy earlier say he wanted to go in the video game sector, well, you know, if you went to the video game sector just because you were able to be successful in the video game sector doesn't mean I would be successful in the video game sector. I'm not a video game guy, right? So that stuff really matters. You know, it's about knowing your craft. I, I really believe in that deeply. And, you know, by and large, the successful entrepreneurs and business people on this planet, they, they understand what they're buying. You know, they investigate before they invest. They actually understand the nature of the business before they buy it. And that helps them be successful. Okay, next. Hi, should I ask the banks for financing before getting a deal or after a deal? I would have, this again goes to the juggling conversational point I made earlier, wherein you want to be doing multiple things simultaneously. You're talking to operators, you're looking at deals, you're talking to banks, you're talking to investors. You're talking to all of them simultaneously and you're sharing with the investors what the banks are saying and what the deals look like and what the operators are looking like. And same thing when you're talking to operators, you're telling them how you're talking to the banks, you're telling them how you're talking to investors, you're telling them about all these other things that are happening. You're almost narrating for everybody else the other pieces of the bigger pie, and then you you kind of bring everyone together in this unified deal, right? You're 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 conjuring, you're, you're bringing multiple parts together. It's almost like if you've ever seen Pangea when the dinosaurs used to roam the world where Africa and South America were together in the United States and all of them were just crunched together. That's almost your job. Your job as a deal maker, if you will, is to bring South America and Africa and North America and Europe and to bring them all into this unified thing, this unified Pangea, you know, and that's really what you're doing. And, and during that process, you're, you're telling the investors about what banks are saying. You're telling the banks about how you're bringing on operators. You're telling the sellers how you're bringing on investors. You're telling everybody else about all the things you're doing and you're really bringing all these parties together to see that there's a greater good that can come from them being a part of your vision. That's really the name of the game. Okay, next. My sector is getting destroyed due to the restaurants being closed in the Northeast. Yeah, it's a tough time for restaurants right now. It's a tough time for a lot of sectors, honestly. What are your thoughts? But it will pass, you know, this, this virus will pass. What are your thoughts on building a massive source of funds, 10 million plus? You know, to me, honestly, this is kind of like a, this is kind of like a pie in the sky comment. You know, maybe you are able to fundraise 10 million in cash just like that. But realis realis realistically, that's more of one of those where it's just, of course, that's a good idea if you're able to do it. But if you don't have a track record and you don't have a strong investment to offer and you don't have a deal that's actually tangible, the odds of you just going out and fundraising 10 million, it's, it's not even really worth me saying much more. It's like, of course that's a good idea. Go do it. Okay. And then you said, well, you answered my question. First, find deals, then finance. Yeah. I mean, because again, it's like, I'm going to make you a ton of money. It's like, great. In what sector? Uh, whatever sector makes most sense. It's like, no, nobody's going to take that seriously. You need to provide them some tangibility, something solid of, hey, this is the sector, this is the deal, this is the operational team, and this is how it's going to look once we get this thing closed with the debt and the equity, right? And you, exactly as I've done on these case studies that I've made for you on the YouTube channel, you show them the capital stack and the projections, and you show them why it's a, a mathematically shrewd investment. They buy in. By the way, if you guys are liking this, thumbs the thing up. Keep on helping me, helping you. We're going to do a couple more questions. Drop them now if you want me to answer them because I will be bouncing here in about five minutes at the most. Okay, how to get government contracts. Any advice? Now, I can only speak about the United States government because I'm an American. I'm actually a Mexican, but I, uh, I grew up in America and I'm, I'm 
you know, I have an American citizenship. So, you know, for what it's worth, I can only speak about getting government contracts in America. But the thing about getting government contracts in America is you really need to, for better or for worse, take it for what it is, but you really need to play up the minority card. Whether you're a woman-owned business or a minority business owner or a veteran-owned business, you know, you need to play up something that's a minority. Uh, that's the way you do it. You know, affirmative action in the United States is alive and well when it comes to getting government contracts. A lot of it too is just actually bidding on those contracts that are literally available online. Now, I'm not working in sectors at the minute where I'm able to take advantage of that, but in time we will. And I am well connected with business owners have been, who have been very successful at getting those government contracts by, again, positioning themselves as a woman-owned business or as a minority-owned business, which means you're Latino or African or... I don't know, some other minority ethnicity. You can also, what are the other ones? It's minority, it's woman-owned. Those are the two main ones. Veteran-owned, that's another one. But you need to basically claim one of those minority hats, and that makes it a lot easier to get these government contracts because they have quotas they have to hit. The government you know, has to do so much work with women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses and veteran-owned businesses and all these types of businesses. And so as a result, you, by claiming one of those titles, increase your odds of getting that work. You, you reduce the number of competition or number of competitors. Okay. How will you value the stock of the subsidiary company at exit if you sell the whole roll-up simultaneously? You'll use the same earning multiple most likely that you bought it at, or maybe you'll even give them a little bit more, you know? You will, and you can also, of course, just bring in a third third party independent auditor. You know, there's KPMG or Deloitte or E&Y, one of these firms that will come down. And of course, whether you're in real estate or you're in business, there's appraisers, there's auditors, there are professional white collar people who know how to appraise businesses at fair market value. And as long as they are independent, which is something you have to be able to speak about accounting firms with, being an independent, you know, non-biased auditor is very important. And it's the same when valuing businesses for either buying or selling, disposition or acquisition. You know, you, you use third-party uh, white-collar professionals to help you with those valuations. All right, we're going to do one more question, and then I'm going to bounce out. So uh, where can I find these government contracts? By and large, you, uh, you go online um, or you, you connect within your sector to get kind of the, the hot take as far as where, you know, to meet the right people that have uh, those government contracts. There's other ways, of course. I'm not a government contract ex expert, but those are a couple of ways right there. And we have one more. Jason, I have a good deal premise for you. I am seeing a surge in demand in a certain sector. Okay, what sector? You know, you didn't tell me. Uh, very last question here that I'm gonna lead. Hey, Jason, with the pandemic going on, what is the best industry to get into right now, in my opinion? I think some of the best sectors to get into right now would include food and drug, as well as utilities. And utilities include plumbing and electric and all the other utilities that power the basic elements. You know, internet would uh, apply as well. I would consider internet providers to be a utility at this point. It's basically a necessity in human life. Affordable housing is interesting. I think right now actually is a good time to get into affordable housing. Healthcare, I think, is, is, a, is, is a solid bet. Uh, and there are others, you know, and it depends on uh, the local, the microeconomics, and it also depends on the, the country that you live in. 
But with that, I'm gonna sign out. If you guys have liked this, do me a favor, thumbs this up. If you guys show some engagement with these videos, I'll keep doing live streams on a monthly basis. And now for those of you who are in my paid course, which I'm not here to really sell you, but for those of you who are indeed in the course, I'm gonna be going live and doing a much longer Q&A with you guys. So I'm gonna see you there in just a minute. Thank you all for being here. Have a great night, stay safe, and make the most of this opportunity. Because the last note here, there's a lot of opportunity right now. We had one business that came across my desk literally yesterday that's priced at a 65% discount. They're only asking for one times earnings. There are great business opportunities out there, but if you're not in the game, you can't get it. So get in the game. That's the secret.